Chapter thirty five of The Man in the Iron Mask by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Beehive, the Bees, and the Honey. The Bishop of Vannes, much annoyed at having met D'Artagnan at Monsieur Passerin's, returned to St. Mond in no very good humor. Moliere, on the other hand, quite delighted at having made such a capital rough sketch and at knowing where to find his original again whenever he should desire to convert his sketch into a picture moliere arrived in the merriest of moods all the first story of the left wing was occupied by the most celebrated epicureans in paris and those on the freest footing in the house every one in his compartment like the bees in their cells employed in producing the honey intended for that royal cake which m fouquet proposed to offer his majesty louis the fourteenth during the fete at vaux pelisson his head leaning on his hand was engaged in drawing out the plan of the prologue to a fachot a comedy in three acts which was to be put on the stage by poquelin de moliere as d'artagnan called him or coquelin de foliere as porthos styled him Loret, with all the charming innocence of a gazetteer, the gazetteers of all ages have always been so artless, Loret was composing an account of the fete at Vaux before those fetes had taken place. La Fontaine sauntered about from one to the other, a peripatetic, absent-minded, boring, unbearable dreamer, who kept buzzing and humming at everybody's elbow a thousand poetic abstractions. He so often disturbed Pelisson that the latter, raising his head crossly, said, "'At least, La Fontaine, supply me with a rhyme, since you have the run of the gardens at Parnassus.' "'What rhyme do you want?' asked the fabler, as Madame de Savigne used to call him. "'I want a rhyme with Lumiere.' "'Ornier,' answered La Fontaine. "'Ah, but my good friend one cannot talk of wheel ruts when celebrating the delights of vaux said loret besides it doesn't rhyme answered pelisson what doesn't rhyme cried la fontaine in surprise yes you have an abominable habit my friend a habit which will ever prevent your becoming a poet of the first order you rhyme in a slovenly manner <laughs> "'You think so, do you, Pelisson? "'Yes, I do, indeed. "'Remember that a rhyme is never good "'so long as one can find a better.' "'Then I will never write anything again save in prose,' "'said La Fontaine, who had taken up Pelisson's reproach in earnest. "'Ha! I often suspected I was nothing but a rascally poet. "'Yes, tis the very truth.' "'Do not say so. Your remark is too sweeping.' and there is much that is good in your fables and to begin continued la fontaine following up his idea i will go and burn a hundred verses i have just made where are your verses in my head well if they are in your head you cannot burn them true said la fontaine but if i do not burn them well what will happen if you do not burn them they will remain in my mind and i shall never forget them the deuce cried loret what a dangerous thing one would go mad with it the deuce the deuce repeated la fontaine what can i do i have discovered the way said moliere who had entered just at this point of the conversation 
what way write them first and burn them afterwards how simple well i should never have discovered that what a mind that devil of moliere has said la fontaine then striking his forehead oh thou wilt never be aught but an ass jean la fontaine he added what are you saying there my friend broke in moliere approaching the poet whose aside he had heard i say i shall never be aught but an ass answered la fontaine with a heavy sigh and swimming eyes yes my friend he added with increasing grief it seems that i rhyme in a slovenly manner oh tis wrong to say so nay i am a poor creature who said so parbleu twas pelisson did you not pelisson pelisson again absorbed in his work took good care not to answer but if pelisson said you were so cried moliere pelisson has seriously offended you do you think so ah i advise you as you are a gentleman not to leave an insult like that unpunished what exclaimed la fontaine did you ever fight only once with a lieutenant in the light horse what wrong had he done you it seems he ran away with my wife <laughs> said moliere becoming slightly pale but as at la fontaine's declaration the others had turned round moliere kept upon his lips the rallying smile which had so nearly died away and continuing to make la fontaine speak and what was the result of the duel the result was that on the ground my opponent disarmed me and then made an apology promising never again to set foot in my house and you considered yourself satisfied said moliere not at all on the contrary i picked up my sword i beg your pardon monsieur i said i have not fought you because you were my wife's friend but because i was told i ought to fight so as i have never known any peace save since you made her acquaintance do me the pleasure to continue your visits as heretofore or morbleu let us set to it again and so continued la fontaine he was compelled to resume his friendship with madame and i continue to be the happiest of husbands all burst out laughing moliere alone passed his hand across his eyes why perhaps to wipe away a tear perhaps to smother a sigh alas we know that moliere was a moralist but he was not a philosopher tis all one he said returning to the topic of the conversation pelisson has insulted you ah truly i had already forgotten it and i am going to challenge him on your behalf well you can do so if you think it indispensable i do think it indispensable and i am going to stay exclaimed la fontaine i want your advice upon what this insult no tell me really now whether lumiere does not rhyme with orniere i should make them rhyme ha i knew you would and i have made a hundred thousand such rhymes in my time a hundred thousand 
cried La Fontaine, four times as many as La Puchelle, which Monsieur Chaplain is meditating. Is it also on this subject, too, that you have composed a hundred thousand verses? Listen to me, you eternally absent-minded creature, said Moliere. It is certain, continued La Fontaine, that legume, for instance, rhymes with posthume. In the plural above all. Yes, above all in the plural, seeing that then it rhymes not with three letters, but with four, as Ornière does with Lumière. But give me Ornière and Lumière in the plural, my dear Pelisson, said La Fontaine, clapping his hand on the shoulder of his friend, whose insult he had quite forgotten. And they will rhyme. Hem, coughed Pelisson. Moliere says so, and Moliere is a judge of such things. He declares he has himself made a hundred thousand verses. Come, said Moliere, laughing. He is off now. It is like rivage, which rhymes admirably with herbage. I would take my oath of it. But, said Moliere, I tell you all this, continued La Fontaine, because you are preparing a divertissement for Vaux, are you not? Yes, the Fascho. Ha, yes, the Fascho. Yes, I recollect. Well, I was thinking a prologue would admirably suit your divertissement. Doubtless it would suit capitally. Ha, you are of my opinion. So much so that I have asked you to write this very prologue. You asked me to write it? Yes, you, and on your refusal begged you to ask Pelisson, who is engaged upon it at this moment. Huh, that is what Pelisson is doing, then. Faith, my dear Moliere, you are indeed often right. When? When you call me an absent-minded. It is a monstrous defect. I will cure myself of it, and do your prologue for you. But, inasmuch as Pelisson is about it, Huh, true, miserable rascal that I am, Loret was indeed right in saying I was a poor creature. It was not Loret who said so, my friend. Well, then, whoever said so, tis the same to me. And so your divertissement is called the Fascho? Well, you can make Huro rhyme with Fascho. If obliged, yes and even with Capriceau. Oh, no, no! It would be hazardous. And yet why so? There is too great a difference in the cadences. I was fancying, said La Fontaine, leaving Moliere for Loret. I was fancying. What were you fancying? said Loret in the middle of a sentence. Make haste! You are writing the prologue to the Fascho, are you not? No, mordieu, it is Pelisson. Ah, Pelisson, cried La Fontaine, going over to him. I was fancying, he continued, that the nymph of Vaux. Huh, beautiful, cried Loret. The nymph of Vaux. Thank you, La Fontaine. You have just given me the two concluding verses of my paper. "'Well, if you can rhyme so well, La Fontaine,' said Pelisson, 
Tell me now in what way you would begin my prologue. I should say, for instance, O nymph, who, after who I should place a verb in the second person singular of the present indicative, and should go on thus, this grot profound. But the verb, the verb, asked Pelisson, to admire the greatest king of all kings round, continued La Fontaine, but the verb, the verb, obstinately insisted Pelisson, this second person singular of the present indicative. Well, then, quittest, O nymph who quittest now this grot profound, to admire the greatest king of all kings round. You would not put who quittest, would you? Why not? Quittest? After you who? Ha! Huh, my dear fellow, exclaimed La Fontaine, you are a shocking pedant. Without counting, said Moliere, that the second verse, king of all kings round, is very weak, my dear La Fontaine. Then you clearly see I am nothing but a poor creature, a shuffler, as you said. I never said so. Then as Loray said. And it was not Loray either, it was Pelisson. Well, Pelisson was right a hundred times over, but what annoys me more than anything, my dear Moliere, is that I fear we shall not have our Epicurean dresses. You expected yours, then, for the fete? Yes, for the fete, and then for after the fete. My housekeeper told me that my own is rather faded. Diable, your housekeeper is right, rather more than faded. Ha, huh, you see, resumed La Fontaine, the fact is, I left it on the floor in my room, and my cat. Well, your cat? She made her nest upon it, which has rather changed its color. Moliere burst out laughing. Pelisson and Loret followed his example. At this juncture the bishop of Van appeared, with a roll of plans and parchments under his arm, as if the angel of death had chilled all gay and sprightly fancies, as if that wan form had scared away the graces to whom Xenocrates sacrificed. Silence immediately reigned through the study, and every one resumed his self-possession and his pen. Aramis distributed the notes of invitation and thanked them in the name of M. Fouquet. "'The superintendent,' he said, "'being kept to his room by business, could not come and see them, but begged them to send him some of the fruits of their day's work, to enable him to forget the fatigue of his labor in the night.' At these words, all settled down to work, La Fontaine placed himself at a table, and set his rapid pen in endless dance across the smooth white vellum. Pelisson made a fair copy of his prologue. Moliere contributed fifty fresh verses with which his visit to Passeran had inspired him. Loret, an article on the marvellous fetes he predicted, and Aramis, laden with his booty like the king of the bees, that great black drone, decked with purple and gold, re-entered his apartment silent and busy. But before departing, "'Remember, gentlemen,' said he, "'we leave to-morrow evening.' 
"'In that case I must give notice at home,' said Molière. "'Yes, poor Molière,' said Loret, smiling. "'He loves his home.' "'He loves, yes,' replied Molière, with his sad, sweet smile. "'He loves. That does not mean they love him.' "'As for me,' said La Fontaine, "'they love me at Chateau Thierry, I am very sure.' Aramis here re-entered after a brief disappearance. "'Will anyone go with me?' he asked. "'I am going by Paris after having passed a quarter of an hour with Monsieur Fouquet. I offer my carriage.' "'Good,' said Molière. "'I accept it. I am in a hurry.' "'I shall dine here,' said Loret. "'Monsieur de Gourville has promised me some crawfish.' "'He has promised me some whitings.' Find a rhyme for that, La Fontaine. Aramis went out laughing, as only he could laugh, and Moliere followed him. They were at the bottom of the stairs when La Fontaine opened the door and shouted out, He has promised us some whitings in return for these our writings. The shouts of laughter reached the ears of Fouquet at the moment Aramis opened the door of the study. As to Moliere, he had undertaken to order the horses while Aramis went to exchange a parting word with the superintendent. "'Oh, how they are laughing there!' said Fouquet with a sigh. "'Do you not laugh, Monseigneur?' "'I laugh no longer now, Monsieur d'Herblay. The fete is approaching. Money is departing.' "'Had I not told you that was my business?' "'Yes.' you promised me millions you shall have them the day after the king's entree into vaux fouquet looked closely at aramis and passed the back of his icy hand across his moistened brow aramis perceived that the superintendent either doubted him or felt he was powerless to obtain the money how could fouquet suppose that a poor bishop ex-abbe ex-musketeer could find any why doubt me said aramis fouquet smiled and shook his head man of little faith added the bishop my dear monsieur d'herblay answered fouquet if i fall well if you fall i shall at least fall from such a height that i shall shatter myself in falling then giving himself a shake as though to escape from himself whence came you said he my friend from paris from percerin and what have you been doing at percerin's for i suppose you attach no great importance to our poet's dresses no i went to prepare a surprise surprise yes which you are going to give to the king and will it cost much oh a hundred pistoles you will give lebrun a painting ah all the better and what is this painting to represent i will tell you then at the same time whatever you may say or think of it i went to see the dresses for our poets bah and they will be rich and elegant splendid there will be few great monseigneurs with so good people will see the difference there is between the courtiers of wealth 
and those of friendship. Ever generous and grateful, dear prelate. In your school. Fouquet grasped his hand. And where are you going? He said. I am off to Paris, when you shall have given a certain letter. For whom? Monsieur de Lyon. And what do you want with Lyon? I wish to make him sign a lettre de cachet. Lettre de cachet? Do you desire to put somebody in the Bastille? On the contrary, to let somebody out. And who? A poor devil, a youth, a lad who has been Bastilled these ten years, for two Latin verses he made against the Jesuits. Two Latin verses? And for two Latin verses the miserable being has been in prison for ten years? Yes. And has committed no other crime? Beyond this he is as innocent as you or I. On your word? On my honor. And his name is... Selden. Yes, but it is too bad. You knew this, and you never told me. Twas only yesterday his mother applied to me, Monseigneur. And the woman is poor. In the deepest misery. Heaven, said Fouquet, sometimes bears with such injustice on earth that I hardly wonder there are wretches who doubt of its existence. Stay, Monsieur d'Herblay. And Fouquet, taking a pen, wrote a few rapid lines to his colleague Lyon. Aramis took the letter and made ready to go. Wait, said Fouquet. He opened his drawer and took out ten government notes which were there, each for a thousand francs. Stay, he said, set the son at liberty and give this to the mother, but above all do not tell her. What, Monseigneur? That she is ten thousand livres richer than I. She would say I am but a poor superintendent. Go, and I pray that God will bless those who are mindful of his poor. So also do I pray, replied Aramis kissing Fouquet's hand, and he went out quickly, carrying off the letter for Lyon and the notes for Selden's mother, and taking up Moliere, who was beginning to lose patience. End of chapter 35 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia